Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Program works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programs focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series, I travelled to Cape Town to meet up with some of the first Atlantic Fellows for Health Equity South Africa at Takano. Today, I'm joined by Thania Gopal, a journalist currently completing a Master's in Public Health. I asked her how she'd become interested in that field. I come from a family where almost everyone is medical doctors, and I think that's played quite a big role in my interest, consciously or subconsciously, in health. And somehow I've always found myself coming back to health. Even when I did an undergrad business degree, my dissertation looked at the marketing of medical aids in South Africa to lower income groups and how they didn't have enough information to understand what was being sold to them. I trained as a journalist and I went on to mostly write about health-related articles. I worked for the Treatment Action Campaign. The Treatment Action Campaign is best known for its efforts to mobilize civil society in South Africa to get the government to provide antiretroviral therapy for HIV AIDS in South Africa. In terms of mobilizing society, how easy or challenging is that? It's very hard. (laughs) The Treatment Action Campaign was focused on disseminating information and educating people with a very strong scientific underpinning. Still today, there's so much stigma surrounding this idea of HIV and AIDS. And if you have this virus, you're basically going to die. Whereas medical evidence today shows that you could carry on living with it as a chronic illness. The Treatment Action Campaign was a group of different people from different civil society organizations and just ordinary people and people living with HIV. At the time, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was not much known about this disease. So a lot of stigma Also, because there was no treatment at the time, a lot of people were dying, which added to the stigma around the disease. Equal Treatment, which is the publication produced by the Treatment Action Campaign, had a philosophy of building literacy around HIV. So not shying away from scientific concepts and trying to make it easier for people to understand. There were loads of people working on the ground. So they would circulate these magazines and people would form groups and use these magazines almost as educational tools. But they were also styled in such a way that they were more palatable for people to understand. You're from Cape Town. So is this happening in the Cape Town region or beyond? It was countrywide. So they had these groups of people on the ground throughout the country. In terms of motivating people to fight for greater access to health care and greater awareness, is it a situation that's getting better? In South Africa specifically and around HIV, we've had a huge success with getting people onto ARVs. We have the biggest antiretroviral therapy program in the world. But we also have one of the biggest epidemics in the world. We have succeeded at getting a whole lot of people onto treatment. The challenges at the moment are keeping people on treatment. What happens is that for whatever reason, people stop taking their medicine and they may come back to taking it. But also there's a large percentage of people at the moment who are developing advanced disease. So they're getting very sick 
And it's a lot harder to see to people who are getting very sick. And why are they getting advanced disease? Is there a particular reason for that? Well, it's because they're not taking their medicine. This can be as a result of stigma around taking the medicine, because if you are taking ARVs, then people might know that you have HIV, or it may be psychological reasons. There's a lot of young people who feel like they don't want to be on this medication. They don't want to have a chronic illness. But what the evidence is showing is that men in particular are really having a hard time at all levels. So men are not getting tested. Men don't like to seek health care and they tend to not stay on their meds. So men in all respects are doing worse than women in terms of our progress for HIV. When you look at the situation and try to combat it, is there one breakthrough that you think would work for everyone or is it a constant working with people and working with communities and health organizations? Well, the evidence currently is pointing towards a community effort and community mobilization. For instance, there's something called ARV clubs where people have formed support groups and if they've been well enough on the medication for at least a year and they've been stable on the medication and their viral loads are suppressed, in other words, there's no trace of the virus, then there's no need for them to come into the health facilities to clog up the system even further to collect their medicines. So these ARV clubs are forming a vital resource in the community. People meet at libraries or at churches or community halls and they come together, they collect their prepackaged medicine and they don't have to stand in a queue, and there's also some sort of counselling and support that's taking place. That's one thing that's worked. But there's no one specific thing because it really has to be customised towards a community. With men, they found that having fast-track queues, because men don't want to be seen at the clinic, they're not willing to wait in queues. They've even trialling things like male nurses, after-hour queues for men, all sorts. Of, so there's a whole range of different approaches that's being trialled. Nationally, one of the big success stories is a chronic medicine dispensing and distribution program from national government. The medicine is being prepackaged so people don't have to come to the clinic facility. And again, it's being delivered to pickup points close to people's houses to facilitate easier pickup of medications. And then just recently, the Deputy Director General of Health in South Africa, he mentioned that they are trialing something like a bicycle courier system to courier the meds that last mile, so from the pickup point directly to your house, which if they can scale it up would be awesome. I'm thinking that if they don't want to queue, does that correlate to not wanting to read information I think it's about giving people information in the appropriate fashion. So it's about targeting your market. It's about doing it in the right language. It's about designing whatever it is that you're using so that it's tailor-made. I think people are hungry for information. It's just people don't have time to queue. The social determinants of health in South Africa are critical to understanding how poverty, how being unemployed, how not working, how not having an education affects your ability to access healthcare. We might calculate the cost of health to be we're giving universal healthcare and it's free at the point of care, but you haven't taken into account the fact that people actually have to get to the clinic. So that's transport costs and people have to eat. They stand in these queues, but they're actually starving because they haven't had breakfast this morning and that's another deterrent. So it's a multi-pronged approach that's needed. Exactly. Mothers bear the burden, women bear the burden of 
caregiving, of taking care of sick people in our community in general. So if she has to go to the clinic, who's taking care of her children? It's not just about a health service. What have you learned through the program that you've just graduated from? One of the biggest eye-openers for me was we visited a health facility, and this is in the Eastern Cape, so out of Cape Town. It was quite a rural health facility. We live in Cape Town. We, we think we have issues, but this is a rural area where people take, on average, six hours to get to the closest district hospital. What you're finding is that the road that leads to the hospital hasn't been tarred. And so, again, that's a deterrent for people to access medical services. It was an eye-opener around the social determinants of health. There are births in the community that haven't been registered. There is not enough access to social services, to mental health services. And all of these things are part of a system that is not functioning adequately. Are you optimistic that that system can be overturned or improved to such a degree that people will have better access? I do think so. And I don't think it's rocket science. I just think it's about investment in resources. And it always comes back down to money. But also it comes back down to training people who are from the community to serve the community. What you have is people who are doing their community service who come to the area and then leave because they are forced to be there. But you need to train doctors from the area to serve the area because they are the people who are going to stay. So what are you looking forward to working on in the next few months and years? Ideally, it's going to be something where journalism meets public health and a combination of the two. In South Africa specifically, I'm very interested in seeing how our version of universal health coverage, which is the NHI, pans out and was recently passed in Parliament. So it's on the cards. From the activist perspective, there's been a lot of criticism around the NHI and the way it's being implemented and the lack of community participation at the moment. The average South African, if you had to ask them, what is the NHI? They have no idea. And yet this is the most far-reaching health policy that has hit this country probably in the last 20, 30 years. And yet there's been very little consultation on the ground in terms of what people know. It sounds like you have a lot of work ahead of you when it comes to <laughs> that crossroads of journalism meeting yeah, public health. Yeah, which is very exciting. <laughs> and does being part of a wider Atlantic community now that you've graduated have any impact on your thinking as yet, given that there are other health equity programs in different parts of the world? Definitely. I'm very keen to hook up with people from the other programs. It's just a question about finding those meeting points where we do have similarities and definitely universal health coverage and community participation is one of those things that I'll be looking to. Tanya Gopal, thank you so much and congratulations. Thank you so much. That was Tanya Gopal. Atlantic Fellow for Health Equity, South Africa, at Takano. For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.